Wow. <laughs> wow. I need to put Dr. Tennyson in my closet for when I'm fleeing down. That's a word of encouragement right there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm so honored to be here this morning. Um, you'll get a chance to know me a bit more as the semester goes on. I, I'll be speaking in the upcoming weeks. But this morning, I'm under compulsion. The old-time Pentecostals used to call it unction. Scripture calls it a burden, the burden of the word of the Lord. So I uh, will forego the usual niceties, although thank you, Dr. Tennyson, again, for those wonderful niceties. <laughs> and I'll jump straight into what the Lord has laid in my heart concerning the spirit-filled life. Are you hungry? Almost lunchtime. <laughs> but are you hungry? I mean, really hungry. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for what God can and will do in and through your life? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? I've been a Pentecostal a long time. And this is still the cry of my heart. Where is the God who answers by fire? Where is that God? There seems to be a group of Pentecostals who have forgotten that. That there is indeed a God who answers by fire, who defies our intellect but yet sharpens it simultaneously. This series of messages is meant to expand your horizons. The title I've chosen is, the, is Holy Fire, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. I want to expand your horizons. Let's make sure it works. Uh -huh. Yes, it is. Just checking. I want to address in this series five types of people and provide responses to five types of questions. Now, it's not going to be systematic. This is not the points of my sermon today. But as we look at the grand scheme of what I share, these are the themes that will come out. I want to speak to the skeptic, the one who says, yeah, that stuff is a bunch of nonsense. All that spirit-filled talk is a bunch of hocus-pocus. See, I was one of those who thought it was fake, who thought it was nonsense. Partly because there was no one who could answer for me the big question. And the big question was, why? Why is this so? No one in my life was able to give me a reasoned response for the spirit-filled life. Why do you speak about tongues? Why do you talk about miracles? We don't see miracles every day. That's not reasonable. The skeptic. 
we'll get an answer, I hope, throughout this, this series. But I also want to speak to the Pino. You know who you are. The jaded, the Pentecostals in name only. Yeah, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Man, I saw those guys speaking in tongues at youth convention, and they were great, and then I saw them making out just a couple of hours later. You know what I'm talking about. I know them. I was a pastor of some of them. They're jaded. They don't even understand the what. What is this thing that we call Pentecostalism? What is this thing that we call the spirit-filled life? I'm also wanting to speak to the open but cautious, and I hope and pray that there's a lot of us here who are open but cautious, who are saying, you know, I see this stuff in the Bible, I don't know exactly what it means, but is it for me? The response to you will be, why not? I'm also trying to engage in this series, The Chronic Seeker. Yes, you know who you are, you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. You've been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit perhaps for years. You've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The key question I want to address with you is the how question. And then, there's another sector of you, the Spirit-filled, those of you who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the question that I want to suggest or ask you to consider is, now what? Now what? So why, what, why not, how, and now what? Before I jump even further into my message, uh, I stated in one of my classes on uh, one Wednesday that the problem my life was meant to solve was stupid Christians. All right, that's so inelegant and so inappropriate. (laughs) What I mean to say, being interpreted, is that I see it as my goal to help Christians to become more educated about who they are, particularly when it comes to the Spirit. Now, my wife will tell you, that nothing irks me more and perhaps irks her more than me saying it. Nothing irks me more than when people in church do pneumatology poorly. I see it everywhere. Bad pneumatology. Let me give you some examples of some questions then that drive me. I'm just gonna list these really quickly. But as much for worship reflect either pneumatological deism, that is, we know the Spirit is there and he's done his stuff, but he's no longer with us, right? Or pneumatological agnosticism. Well, I don't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. Let's break down to earth. Why do our prayers lack attention to the role of the Holy Spirit? Why do many of our spiritual practices neglect the Holy Spirit except as the feel-good force? Right? You know what I'm talking about. Man, you got that prayer up. Yeah, yeah, I feel it now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff. The feel-good force of Christianity. Why do we even really preach about the Holy Spirit anyway? I've been in churches where 
I might have, might have heard the preaching of the Holy Spirit once or twice in a year if I were lucky. Furthermore, why are there so few means of providing training for those who want to experience the Holy Spirit more deeply? And lastly, why are so many spiritful people, whether they appear, it's a grammatical error there, whether they appear spooky, but not in a good way? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I call them the space cadets. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You know, so. Sometimes they're the hardest to deal with because you can't reason with them. Everything is the spirit, this, the spirit, that, the spirit. Are you sure? Let me suggest to you, friends, that one key or one missing central, central element is this. And in fact, it can be expressed through this. <laughs> now, students, those who are in my class, be warned. You'll be, you may show up one day on my PowerPoint. I asked the students in another university, not this one, to draw for me on the board the, Holy Sp uh, the, the Trinity. <laughs> this. <laughs> so we have the big guy, we assume the big guy is father. Then you got Junior. <laughs> and then you got Binky. The good thing is at least he's smiling. We got that right. But the whole problem of our pneumatology, of our, of our understanding of the Spirit's work in our lives, rests right here. It is a fundamental misunderstanding about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, if you are in our churches, our music hardly addresses it because it all ends up in what I call Jesus-centrism, right? Most of our stuff is about Jesus, 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 but where's the Holy Spirit? And then our teaching is so shallow about the Holy Spirit, it's only in the realm of the experiential and not in the realm of the cognitive. So we are left with a disconnect between our experience and our brains, and you know what eventually wins out? Our brains because our experience goes up and down and up and down to the point where we get frustrated because that there is no deeper anchor or foundation for what we are practicing. So it is right here that I want to spend some time on the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't do everything, although I try. I don't want to bore you either. So in the next 13 minutes, 13 minutes, I'm gonna get through as much as I can, knowing that I'll be here three more times. I wanna talk a little bit today, though, about the personal work of the Holy Spirit. Turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Have you considered this text? It has baffled me. I've spent way too much time reading this particular text. Because what is the Holy Spirit doing there? As you read more closely and you think, think through what's going on here, especially in light of the ancient Near East, and in light of passages like one, uh, Psalm 104.30, there is a role for the Holy Spirit in creation. What is that role? I think the role connects well with this concept of hovering. Or, better understood, brooding, incubating. This is the word that was used for a hen hovering over eggs, waiting for them to be hatched. Let me suggest to you then that a, an important picture the primordial picture of the work of the Holy Spirit is that he is the one, he is God hovering over matter to bring matter into alignment with the Father's purposes. There is a preparatory and enabling function of the Holy Spirit whenever the Holy Spirit shows up. Hovering, hovering. Now keep that concept because it shows up Again, now I could talk about uh, many, many people in the text of Scripture. The elders in the book of Numbers, Saul, Gideon. But I want to focus on Jesus because we do have a Jesus-centered piety for good reason. He is our Lord after all, right? But I want to focus on Jesus not only because he's our Lord, but also because he is our example. So I spent some time thinking about this. Luke 1, 35. It's a famous passage that we, many of us probably just recently read because it's part of the story of Christmas. Mary in verse 34 says to the angel who says that these great things are going to happen to her, she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? In verse 35, the angel answers, what? The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In the incarnation of Jesus, we see what we saw at creation. The Spirit of God hovers over creation to bring it into alignment with the Father's purpose. The Spirit hovers over the womb of Jesus to bring, Jesus, not Jesus, Mary to bring forth Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the Father's purposes. That's some messed up theology right there. <laughs> Talk about theology for the 21st century. Wow. Spirit hovering over the womb of Mary so that this matter, this physical matter, 
could be brought into alignment with the divine purpose. Now, if you take the word kai, the and there, in a particular direction, you might even see a Trinitarian moment, but that's advanced study, not for today. But the Spirit shows up again in the life of Jesus. Look at the baptism story. Let's turn over one page to Luke chapter 3. And you have other texts up there. I wouldn't go all, I would, I'm not going to read all of those, but we'll spend some time in this one. Luke chapter 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a what? A dove. Again, this imagery of hovering. This imagery of hovering, powerful imagery. If you look at John 1.32, you'll read it at home. John makes it explicitly clear that the only reason he knows that Jesus is the one who is sent by God is that the Spirit of God came upon him and remained. Now, after Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit, yes, I said it. After Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit, he is then driven out into the wilderness to be tempted. Then he returns in Luke 4, in 4.18 he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Let me suggest to your friends that Jesus' life and ministry are not possible without the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is challenging to some people, right? Because we've built systems that defend the deity of Christ as though Christ acts independently. But if you read Philippians 2 and elsewhere in Scripture, we understand something very important about the incarnation, that Jesus Christ, as he came to earth, did not exercise his omnis. He did not emphasize or exercise his absolutes. He possessed them. He didn't exercise them. So then how was he able to perform miracles? He gives the answer. He is able to do this because the spirit of the Lord was upon him who anointed him to preach the gospel. The book of Acts, the disciples are reflecting upon this and they say how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good because God was with him. So Jesus' life and ministry, they're not possible without the hovering power, without the enabling power, without the incubational power, without the brooding power of the Holy Spirit upon him, the hovering Holy Spirit. This is a depiction of his baptism. Very interesting shot, I thought I'd share. Actually, it's pretty interesting because Jesus looks like my wife's father. He really does. Like, hey, Daddy Bino, is that you? The spirit hovering. Oops. Here we go. But I also want to point you to one more thing. That in Acts chapter 2, in the birth of the church, something likewise miraculously happens. And what is interesting is that Jesus, the one who had, upon whom the Spirit had come, made a promise to them. 
He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive what? And every Pentecostal needs to know this by heart. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samir, and the uttermost parts of the world. The birth of the church is predicated, really, upon another recreational kind of act. But the Holy Spirit now will hover upon some of us? No. In the last days, Joel says, God will pour his spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. All flesh. So the birth of the church happens in this way in Acts chapter 2, that when they were all together on the day of Pentecost, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Notice though, a benefit changes. It moves from bird now to the image of fire. Fire. From bird to fire. Same concept though that when the Spirit comes and rests upon you, you shall be able to be aligned to divine purposes. Now I'm going to skip this next slide. I'll bring it up next time I share. But I want to leave you then with three important pictures. That's what I'll skip. I'll get to that. Here we go. I want to give you three conceptual depictions of the spirit-filled life. Part of our problem is that we think of salvation only in terms of fire insurance. God's intention is not simply to save you from hell. Do you understand this? The plan of salvation is not just to rescue you from hell. It is about making you into what God wants you to be. Rather, to use the words I've been using this far, it is to bring you into alignment with the divine purpose that God created you for. You were made in God's image to be like God. How can you be like God? You be like God the way Jesus was like God because he was anointed by the Spirit to do the work the Father had sent to, for him to do. He becomes this perfect example then. So salvation is about the Holy Spirit drawing us first, you see the outer line is solid, drawing us first into, yes, you are saved, but there's so much more, my friend. He wants you to enter this life in the Spirit. My time is running out, so I'll skip forward a little bit. Here's another conceptual depiction. You've seen this in other contexts. I probably will say I've used this first because I was using this for like, wow, 15 years. Anyway, conceptual depiction of the spirit-filled life. Here is where we Pentecostals go wrong. We spend all our effort on tongues, interpretation of tongues, and all the spectacular spooky stuff. Well, how many of you know that if all you ate was icing, you'd probably get sick? Right? Now, I'm nervous. I know there's some of you that only eat icing. I know that. <laughs> I was one of those too. But we focus so much on the icing 
that we don't have a foundation. Let me suggest to you that the true depth of the work of the Holy Spirit is right here, right here, deep down, your roots going deep down. That the Holy Spirit works at a level that no one can see. All they can see is the outcropping when he does something spectacular. But that is predicated upon this deeper work. Now this is really important because the deeper you go in the spirit, the higher then you can go in the external phenomena. And the reason why people do this, whoop, fall over, is because they're pushing up too hard without any anchoring foundation, and so naturally they tip right on over. You see, the focus is the giver and not the gift. Conceptual depiction number three. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, you can see it well. The spirit-filled life is paradoxically the state you are filled and the goal you're going to be filled of the Christian experience of the spirit. Sink, let it sink deep. Jesus says in John 7, 37 to 39, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water shall flow through him. And then John was careful to say, by this, he meant the spirit. There is something that happens on the inside of you. Now, I, I put Ephesians 5, 18 there because it's important too. It says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that's, a, that's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's a present passive imperative, which is often difficult for us to get. Some have translated it this way, be being filled. So even though you're full, you still need to get full. Why? Because you leak. And that's the picture of the faucet. It, it runs over, and that's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be so full of God. You're supposed to be so inundated with the presence of God that it flows out to others. And guess what? When it flows out to others, you are so connected to God that God continually refreshes you. That is the Spirit-filled life. It is a giving out, and it is a receiving. Why? Because the Spirit of God hovers over you to bring you into conformity, to bring you into alignment with the purposes God has created you for. Now this is heavy and theoretical, yes. As we move on, we're gonna move, we're gonna get a little more practical. But I wanted to set these pictures before you. The spirituality we talk about is not some cheap thing that someone just made up. The spirituality we talk about is one that resonates deep within the Christian tradition, no. Deep within the scripture, no. Deep within the nature of how God works in the world. When God wants to work in the world, God uses the spirit. The spirit of God hovers over matter to bring matter into alignment with God's purposes. Are you ready? I 
I'm sick and tired of fake spirituality that plays on your emotions, that cranks you up. The loud music. The lights, the smoke. And when all is done, there is nothing. You can't take it to next week because there's nothing in it. It's almost like Samson, you shake yourself and you realize, you didn't realize the spirit of God was even there. I am daring you. I am challenging you this semester. You are in a place where God is. You're in a place where people are open to the spirit of God. If you can't get it here, if you can't get this deep encounter with God here, I don't know of many places where you can get it. Take advantage. The next series of message, messages will talk about more practical issues. But well, how, what does this baptism of the Holy Spirit look like? What is this, um, what is the connection of baptism of the Holy Spirit with tongues? And how do I encounter God in this particular way? We'll get to that. Today, I just wanted to blow your mind. Let's all stand as the worship team sings. If you want to come forward and lift your hands, you can. If you want to come forward and say, Lord, I'm tired of the ordinary. I want more from you. I want you to hover over my life in 2017 in a way you've never hovered over my life before. I want to experience a level of effectiveness that I've never experienced before. Lord, I am facing some trials, some difficulties. There's a big calling out there. There's a big world out there. And I want more of you because, Lord, I know the more I get from you and the more I give away is the more I get from you. So, God, I want to continue to be filled with your spirit. And all God's people say amen.